0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth, where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Surya Lianzafan, whose most recent role was Global Head of CRM at Ghani. Surya, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Simeon. Really delighted to be here.
0: So you're here today to talk about your experience of harnessing advocacy to drive your customer strategy and ultimately engage with your fans in the right way. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners?
1: Sure. Uh, So I spent the last decade in luxury client engagement, so in a more retail space at both Louis Vuitton and Burberry. Uh, And as you mentioned, Simeon, my most recent roles have been at Pangaea. Uh, sort of semi-startup, uh, I guess, leisure wear brand, and as you mentioned, Gani, uh, two smaller fashion companies who are a very different stage of their brand life. Um, and I guess throughout, I've, I've been, I, I'm Australian, um, so I started my career there, and I've also spent some time in Hong Kong, and we've been in London for the last few years, so um, just trying to bring a different perspective onto things as a um,
0: as a client engagement specialist. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to getting into this topic with you today as well. Um, now, as tradition on the show, to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where, as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer.
1: Sure. Um, so the example that I have, and I've shared many times with friends and colleagues, uh, is actually not that recent. It's from a very, very long time ago. So uh, after I finished university, I was... Backpacking or traveling through Europe as one as one does and as, as an as an Australian before embarking on a on a career. And um, I've always had a passion for fashion, hence, hence my uh, hence my background. And um, one of the places that I really wanted to visit was a shirt shop. They made men's shirts. Uh, now this shirt shop uh, was revered as the best shirt shop in the entire world. Um they made bespoke shirts. they didn't have a website at the time they didn't have any online presence so it was it was an aura of mystique uh and you know forums and articles that had been written in you know f t have it, et cetera et cetera uh So I wanted to visit this shop and they were in place Vendôme in paris uh for any listeners that have been there it's obviously a very, uh, special part of Paris. It's where the Ritz is. It's where, um, all of the high jewelry brands are as well. And it also happens to be where this shirt shop is. And so I went in as one does, uh, as a uni student backpacker in a t-shirt and shorts. And I just wanted to explore the shop. Uh, now for people that have, have experienced, you know, these types of stores before, they can be quite intimidating. And I was intimidated as one was, you know, I wasn't, I was in my early twenties, had no money and and wasn't prepared to necessarily spend, or wasn't prepared at all to spend 500 euros on a, on a bespoke shirt. It just wasn't going to happen, but I wanted to experience the store, uh, and, and say that I'd been there. I was greeted by, uh, one of their sales staff, a very kind gentleman. He asked why I was there. I explained to him you know, my, my passion for menswear and shirts and, and that I had to come and visit. And he, he said, you know, come with me. And he took me upstairs, uh, on their first floor. They have, uh, a room, a floor full of thousands of shirt fabrics. And he said, I would love to do uh, a shirt fitting experience for you. Um, and I was very quick to say, look, I'm, I'm really not in a position to buy here. I can't afford this. And he said, that's fine. That's fine. Let's, you know, there's no obligation or pressure to do so. And we went through the bespoke fitting experience. He got one of the master tailors to come. Um, you know, I had the experience for about an hour and at the end of it, he gave me his card. Um, and he said, what do you think? And I said, wow, that was just incredible. And I have to apologize that I obviously can't choose a shirt and and buy a shirt. And to close the experience, he said, that's fine. I wanted you to have this experience so that you know what it's like to come to the best shirt shop in the entire world. And one day, whenever that is, when you have the money, I hope that you come back and you come and get a shirt from us, remembering the experience that you had this time uh, for the future. And it really has sat with me throughout my entire life up to this point and throughout my career as well, that somebody was so proud of their brand and so uh service and experience driven that it really didn't matter whether or not they converted he was uh he was confident that at some point in the future that I would convert and when i got married in 2015 that's exactly what i did and i went back to the shop and i you know got a bespoke shirt for my dinner jacket and it was something he was no longer working there even though I did mention his name and I kept the business card for for posterity all that time um, but when I was looked after they were extremely appreciative of the service and experience that he provided and they said you know we're really glad to have you back Mr. Leanne Savan. and you know we hope to create a, this experience for you again and and give you something that will, you know, be with you on the most important day of your life to that particular point. So that's my, uh, that's my example.
0: What amazing story. Um, And I love the fact that that stood the test of time, given that was a while ago. And also it seems to have had an influence on your career as well, kind of thinking back to that experience and probably in some way trying to replicate it to a smaller degree in what you're doing. I'm also very relieved to hear that when you went back, you still had a good experience because that would have been terrible if you'd sort of built it up for all this time and you'd gone back and then not had quite the same experience. So that was, uh, that's good to hear.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, uh, as you've mentioned, you know, the, the experience you provide, um, and the memory that it creates, that's actually, uh, what gets your customers coming back. Um, you know, we found in, in luxury that, you know, the products are the products, um, but the, the thing that people ultimately remember is the experience and the, the physical good or service uh, that you provide to that customer is actually just a physical reminder of that experience and it evokes memories. And if you can create a memory and attach it to that product, then you'll get people coming back for more memories.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I said, really looking forward to diving into that in a little bit more detail shortly. Um, before that, though, just coming back to this idea of customer love, it's clearly something that evokes different emotions in, in different people and, and and people interpret what customer love means in, in different ways. Um, as someone who's kind of generally on the front line delivering exceptional customer experiences, I'd love to hear what your take is on what customer love is really all about.
1: Sure. Um, you know, customer love, I guess it's more about understanding for your brand. What does, what does love mean? And taking that back a step, it's, it's about, you know, thinking about yourself as a person, uh, you know, what does love mean to you, your friends, your family, your partner, um, and understanding what the nature of your relationship is like, how, how do you love your friends your family, your partner? And, what we find is that it's it's not really defined by the gifts or the milestones, but by memories and experiences. As I've as I previously mentioned, and if we translate that to, I guess, a commercial environment, um, it's about then in turn treating your customers as people and not as transactions, because uh, the transactions aren't what generate value. It's the engagement that you get with your customers that um, that generates value in the long term. And in, from an internal perspective, it's about loving and trusting your brand enough to share it with your customers, just as just as uh, the man in the shirt shop did with me, and let, let them make their mind up for themselves and having the confidence that if you provide an experience um, of love, that you will convert more often than not uh, with the people that you engage with in whatever channel that you... Uh, engage them with, with whatever product or service you choose to provide to them.
0: I guess it comes down to this idea that whether you're in B2B or B2C, you buy emotionally, not rationally, most of the time, you you, you might think that, you know, is it practical for me to buy a £500 shirt? Maybe, maybe not. Um, But going back to your example, obviously, the emotional connection that you built with that brand meant that you got obviously an exceptional shirt that was fitted perfectly to you. But that process was more, I guess, on an emotional side that you were buying that shirt rather than a rational side. And I guess what you're saying there around customer love sort of really fits into that idea nicely.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and I mean, I was at a you know, a forum again, also many years ago, uh, where the first thing the man stood up and and said, that one of the presenters was you know, the, the business that succeeds is the business that realizes that they're selling the same thing as every other business. And the only way to differentiate yourself, uh, he is the white t-shirt as an example. Uh, every brand has a white t-shirt. What makes your white t-shirt unique? People focus on the product, but actually your white t-shirt isn't unique. What's unique is the experience that you can create around that. And similarly, you know, I I, I think, you know, when we have such a I guess, saturated market for goods and services, how one stands out is not necessarily through their product, but the experience they can provide is distinct from other brands. Um, and again, continuing my example, you know, there is still a reasonably large market for 500 pound shirts. Um, but ultimately, if somebody's going to buy that 500 pound shirt, all the variables such as quality, craftsmanship, fit, they're all there. At that level um, what it becomes about then is the experience that you're attaching to it and for me you know this shirt was going to be for my wedding and you know now that experience at that store is part of the narrative of that of owning that particular shirt and although i don't wear it very often um, because it's a dinner shirt you know it still sits in my cupboard and it's emblematic of uh, of the whole experience, and that includes the uh, the transactional experience
0: absolutely. Um, I want to go back to your your kind of most recent roles um and start to understand a couple of things firstly, how you would typically go about identifying your biggest brand fans um, and then secondly, why you and why you think other brands should be identifying, nurturing and activating their fans. As much as they would their biggest spenders, for example. Sure. Uh,
1: So in terms of brand fans, I would argue that every single first-time customer should be considered a brand fan. Um, And the reason why that is, is to ask yourself, you know, what hoops did that customer need to jump through? Um, What convinced them to actually buy from you versus someone else? Um, and, And I guess lean into that and celebrate that uh, because they've, they made a big step to spend with you versus somebody else. Uh, and it should be up to you to celebrate. As I said, uh, every time they use that first, pu- first purchase product, they're also a brand fan. They're advocating it. They're advocating your product or service um, through consumption. Uh, and then from there, um, we would look at trying to get people to repeat because, you know, commercially, depending on the brand, you know, any, anywhere up to 80%, 90% of your customers actually will only ever buy once. Um, and for all the investment that we put into paid search and paid social, uh, to get a, to get a commercial return, it's an incredible waste that we do all that work, but then don't do any work subsequently to that. Um, so for me, it's about treating everyone equally, and then from there, seeing how the behaviour starts to diverge um, based on the engagement opportunities that you present to those uh, to those new customers. Um, and as those things diverge, i.e., you know, into purchase interval frequency um, and other measures of commercial success at a really base level. Uh, we would start to separate those customers into different clusters to aggregate their fandom and make it easier for us to reach those individuals um, at, a, I guess, at a resourcing type level. Um, I guess from from another perspective, we would also then need to start looking at um, an overlay on engagement. Uh, notionally, in my in my experience, we would invite you know all of our new customers to at inv- to events not necessarily to transact, but to engage with the brand in a different way, to allow them to utilize their product or service and celebrate the fact that they are now part of our tribe or our brand because they own this t-shirt or they've started using this cream or they've um, you know they've become a customer in some way. Uh, and then, of course, there are new, there are new and upcoming ways of, of sort of capturing customer data around social media engagement, reviews, referrals, following, following handles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, also, as measures of engagement with us as a brand, um, I work. I've worked in a space where you know spend on on the products that I've been engaged with has is purely discretionary, so there's no necessity to it, and so you know, this engagement point is incredibly important because um, I've not been in the market of say perishable goods, for example. Um, but having said that, if you are selling a perishable good, um, then the inter-purchase interval between that good is really important to look at too, you know, by using the product, the customer is engaging with us. And the more free, the more quickly they they refresh their purchase on that perishable product, the more they're consuming your product. Um, and that can be uh, a measure of, you know, brand engagement as well.
0: You, you made a really interesting point there, actually, around the spend on paid social and paid search, for example, which is still making up, generally speaking, an incredible amount of marketing budget. Um, and to your point, what's why would you spend all that money if you're then not going to try and engage and, and treat your customers well on the other end of it? Because you're just constantly then having to pay for more acquisition and just watching people go out the door we we had a talk the other day actually we, we were speaking the other week um uh and we were talking about the importance of um harnessing your brand fans and the example that you gave which i'd i'd love to maybe go into a little bit more detail around was you've worked with products where people generally only spend once a year they'll only purchase that product once a year um so just looking at your bigger spenders is is obviously a small part of that Whereas actually your fans are going out there and they're bringing more customers in because they're telling people how great the product are, and then and then they're going to spend. So that's another revenue stream that you can attribute, not just how many products they're buying over the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, to your point about biggest spenders, you know how much a customer has spent with you is a is in my view a narrow retrospective way of looking at your customer base, and whilst it does drive revenue and it's nice to sort of boast about in in cross-functional meetings and give yourself a pat on the back for. Ultimately, um, that VIP base doesn't actually shift the needle commercially as much as driving incrementality from the rest of the base. Um, So if you're nurturing from bottom, you will get, you know, your future VIPs of the future, Uh, sorry, but you will also, as you say, by... delivering an experience that's exceeding their expectations. And as a new customer, it's very easy to exceed people's expectations because they don't expect to be treated like a VIP um, in any way whatsoever. And often in my experience, these new customers are surprised and delighted that they're being invited to things and considered for things and 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 having the opportunity to bring their friends along to these things as well, being the person that unlocks the door for, for other people. And that engagement, um, ultimately drives retention, um, in, in my experience, yeah, as an example for one of the, one of the top products that, uh, that first customers, first time customers buy when I was at Louis Vuitton was a particular type of bag, a very entry level, uh, bag, a tote bag in sort of monogram canvas, uh. Nothing remarkable about it, relatively speaking. But you know, for a first-time customer, it's a big step to uh, to buying into luxury. And what we decided to look at was engaging this specific group of first-time customers. And so we we organised events, styling events, and and other events specifically for that group. And what we discovered uh, post post sort of pilot was that there was a 25% incrementality on retention versus the rest of the base uh, for this particular group. So it was looking at a high engagement piece, but then elevating that engagement and celebrating that engagement through, I guess, non-commercial or less commercial uh, means and actually letting the retention deal with itself.
0: That's a really really powerful example. Um, do you have any other ones that you can share around campaigns that you've you've done to focus specifically on your your biggest brand fans?
1: Yeah, so uh, during my time at Ghani, one one thing that we wanted to to look at was around the sort of referral piece. Um, we we sort of paraphrased or rephrased the referral piece to be uh, a bring a bring byo friend so uh, not dissimilar to we wanted to create an environment where um, customers should feel welcome welcome in introducing their friends to a brand Um, and so we invited all of the new customers to each of the different stores around the world uh, their local store identifying the customers based on their geographical location um being channel agnostic so you know, not caring whether they were digital customers or store customers, and asking them to come in and, and have a celebratory drink with us, um, asking them to wear their new purchases, and you know, being a group of pe- be amongst a group of like minded people who had also made recent purchases, and also for them to be free to invite any of their friends, uh, whoever they wanted, and we. Then gave those customers a referral code uh, that basically said, Hey, if you come to this event, you can, you know, utilize our referral code um, and and receive a discount on your next purchase. But any friends that come with you, they're also eligible. So what we wanted to do was create a space where it wasn't treating anybody different. You know, we would we were giving the the, the friends, the same benefits as the new, as the new customer themselves. And we had a really good, um, return on that from a redemption perspective. And, you know, from there we started to develop a tool in order to sort of quantify and, um, and I guess measure it in a more, uh, formal, formal manner. But the key was really about being inclusive and, um, and making sure that you know people didn't feel like they were necessarily tears, um, but but that hey, if you're a friend of this person, then you're just as welcome as this person themselves because we're we're an inclusive brand and that's what we stand for.
0: I love that, um, Saria. We've covered some amazing ground today. Just in closing, as a experienced customer leader, what bit of advice could you give maybe to other crm and cx teams to help elevate their own experiences and ultimately grow their own base of brand fans
1: sure um i think for me uh and this shifts the needle commercially as well is to is to not so much focus on that next vip so to speak as as much as it would be exciting to be able to talk about um what really shifts the needle is the incrementality of uh of your first time second time customers you know as i said you know some brands retention is extremely low uh and getting an extra 1% of customers to buy twice uh can have a really big impact on the business and to be able to achieve that you know you once you've got your data in order there, there are actually really simple ways to, to approach a wider, wider customer base. You know, you've already got a high level of, uh, euphoria and engagement post-purchase. Uh, it's about understanding your product and going, well, now that they've bought it, what what can I provide to continue their experience knowing that they are going to be consuming my product or service, uh, on an ongoing basis. And it can be perishable or non-perishable. Um, but allowing them to consume it in a way that perhaps they might not have realized or to celebrate that engagement and, um, and consumption in some way. And if you do that at scale, you will drive, um, you will drive incrementality amongst the customers who go, you know, I want more of this euphoria. I want to unlock more of this content, more of this engagement. Um, And from there, you will discover VIPs. Um, I think one thing to really bear in mind when it comes to VIPs versus you know your first-time customers is that every single customer started at zero at some point in time. And very, very few customers, if any, buy into a brand with the intent of becoming a VIP. Most of them come in with the intent of maybe making that one-off purchase. And it's up to us to show them that actually this is not the end of your journey this is actually the beginning of your journey um, and making sure that we provide content that facilitates that and trusting our products to do their job um, by extension
0: sorry it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show thank you so much for joining us today thanks to you, You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.